Good morning, listeners. This is Citizen You, a forum where we explore issues and meet people in order to help you make a difference here in our community. I'm your first Wednesday of the month host, Dan Jurdy, a Mendocino County Supervisor. And I'm Mari Roden, Ukiah City Council member, and your co-host of Citizen You on third Wednesdays. But this is special. This is Pledge Drive Week, and I'm here with Dan in the studio at KZYX, and we're asking listeners to join uh, and donate to the building fund for a new radio station. So here we are together for today's special show. And we also have Alicia uh, in the studio. And hey there. Yeah, well, I wanted to come in just to, you know, finish off the morning edition festivities. There were a whole bunch of calls. Hey, Dan, could you turn my mic up just a little bit? That one, that's right. Um, our hosts are also the engineers here at KZYX. It's very cool. Um, thank you, Mari and Dan, for being here and for doing Citizen U every other Wednesday, alternating with Karen Audubani and TKO, keeping us totally apprised on the goings-on in our local government. Both of you are local government electeds. And we get to hear your voices every other week here on KZYX and get the inside skinny on what's going on with local government. Yeah. Well, it's it's a pleasure. I, I know that uh, it enriches my life to do this show and to be part of KZYX and Z. I'm grateful that Mari started the show and uh, allowed me to co-host every other um, show. So on, on some of our past shows, we've talked about housing, um, accessory dwelling units, or, or ADUs, and last month we talked about aging in place. One listener um, suggested we hear from uh, building contractors to deepen the conversation. Today we're going to do just that. Uh, this, this morning we will be speaking with two Mendocino County building contractors. Uh, my personal desire from today's show is that some of you will feel empowered to create new housing or give new life to an older um, house both of which our communities desperately need. This could be um, in the form of building a second residence, an addition, or simply upgrading your home to improve your quality of life. And to inspire you, to tantalize you, to see if we can um, get you to take action to improve our community's housing stock, today we've invited two guests. Uh, we have Howie Hawks of Hawks Construction in Ukiah, although I, I know Howie builds houses all over uh, Mendocino, Lake, Sonoma counties as well. And Cynthia Sharon of Dancing Dog Design, Design Build in Fort Bragg. So to start us off, uh, Howie and Sharon, uh, uh, Cynthia, could you please share with us um, a little bit about yourselves, how you got into building and became general contractors? Maybe we could start with Cynthia. So um, I got interested in construction. I was going to school back east, and I happened to read a book called Hard-Hatted Woman about women in the trades, and I decided I wanted to be a carpenter when I grew up. Um, so I finished my undergrad, went and started to work for a contractor, and then put myself through graduate school doing construction, um, decided after graduate school that I actually liked the construction better than the graduate school program, which was marriage and family therapy and art therapy. So then I got um, licensed and, you know, have been doing it now for like 35 years. And I do both the design and the build, which, you know, kind of satisfies both parts of my brain, the creative part and the more analytical part. Okay, thank you. Um, Howie, how did how did you get into the construction trades? Um, sort of haphazardly, I was studying uh, 
in college and I really wasn't really connecting with my engineering efforts. So I just uh, found out from my roommate that our school had a building science curriculum so that I could get a, a bachelor of science degree in building science. So I did that as a four year program. And when I got out, I realized I still didn't know really what was going on in the field. So I bought a nail bag and a pickup truck and decided to learn carpentry, which I, I did for about 10 years and then sort of fell back onto the um, business administration of construction administration. And that's what I've been doing since then. So I came to Mendocino County in 1976 and I've been building here ever since. Soon, soon to retire, still working right now. But um, and there was there was a lot of alternative building going on up here, which I found very interesting in the early days. And um, and that's continued. I think Mendocino County. I read several books that came out of Mendocino County, and um, was inspired and got to work. On, I've worked on some fairly unusual alternative homes over the years, but I've also done regular houses and um but it's it's been great I've, I've really appreciated my whole connection with the construction industry in mendocino county all these years well what i'd like to do is, is let's give some advice for folks who maybe who may want to build but are kind of intimidated by taking on a building project it can feel overwhelming if you haven't done this before and you don't know how to approach it um for someone considering building a new home or a second living unit or remodeling you know their existing home um one of the biggest fears is costs getting out of hand and what advice would you have for someone who's just trying to make sure that they can contain costs as they embark on a project who do you want to direct? that's a big one big question um well certainly the idea of working with a team of people you trust as is number one and hopefully your designer, if you have one, and your contractor, which you probably will have, unless you're doing a doing an owner-builder situation, will help you with those costs. And it's as simple as a, a spreadsheet with the different tasks involved in building and put a number by it and then add that up. But it's... Um, you could talk to other people who've done similar construction, but I find each project to be different enough that it's hard to use ballpark square foot numbers that are very relevant. And so your list needs to be qualified by yourself or somebody is like, are these numbers real? And the way to find out is to go talk to subcontractors and get real pricing before you start. So, um, that way it's and then you need to monitor the costs as you go it's it's that's it's a big deal but it's not hard math or anything it's just arithmetic and you just have to be conscientious about keeping track of the costs as you go i have a question along those lines when is it appropriate and either of you could answer this maybe it's appropriate for cynthia when is it appropriate to approach a project as a time and materials uh project versus getting taking bids for the whole project i mean i could take that if cynthia doesn't isn't ready to um i think the only way to get pricing up front and have a fixed price is to have really good drawings 
and really good specifications for your drawings like you know what sort of heater is it you know even what brand is it sometimes is is relevant and uh we were talking the other day about like uh kitchen faucets you know range from 50 bucks to frankly five thousand dollars so you need unless someone has written down the model number you're just sort of guessing so the way to so to get a fixed price job you need to know what all the specifications are what what is it what are you getting for your fixed price and sometimes if the design isn't quite finished or the owners want more flexibility as they go then uh or, or the design is so unusual it's really hard to get accurate prices on it then it seems like time and materials makes sense and if you have a contractor you trust that has a good track record that can be a very satisfying way to build mm -hmm. so guys i'm just going to interject here i'm i'm having a really unstable signal so um i've shut down everything including my uh visuals so hopefully um i won't miss much of that but i kind of missed the last question well i was i was wondering cynthia when from the uh, the client's point of view, does it make sense to request that the contractor provide the services uh, with through you know time and materials, or as a bidding the entire project? How, how should a how should a homeowner approach those two options for the project? Yeah, so I caught the last of what Howie said, and I I totally agree. Um, what I usually do is. When a client says they want to, want to do, you know, Project X, I will give them a really, really rough number just to make sure that we're not several standard deviations apart in terms of expectations. They think they can do an entire kitchen remodel for $10,000. I just know that that's not realistic. But after that, it's exactly what Howie said. You really need details. <coughs> um what I always tell clients, it's quality, quantity, and complexity. So the more complex a project is, the, the higher end the, the finishes are. And it is hard because I will usually give clients an allowance for, like, usually the client supplies their own tile, for example, or their own flooring, and I'll give an allowance. But I just recently had a client um, pick you know, basically very expensive finishes that were much higher than the allowances. So I've kind of decided my litmus test going forward is <coughs> I'll ask them to pick an appliance. And if they pick an $11,000 fridge, I know they're on the high end of the spectrum. But I think <coughs> the disadvantage of a fixed bid is you have to have every single thing figured out beforehand. Um, and if you do a T&M job, then there's a lot more design flexibility, which has its advantages, but can also create some stress if someone's really watching their nickels and dimes. Cynthia, I know on your on your website you um, point people to the Not So Big House book series, and I think that's personally, I think those books are fantastic and and give people some insights about how to build um, more useful space and smaller spaces, maybe have rooms that have multiple uses so they use every room in the house each day they live in it. Um, it clearly, the size of a house does affect its its cost. Um, can either of you guys talk about how, you know, 
looking at the size of a, of a, of a project um, kind of helps contain the costs of a project? I, I could say a little bit. I mean, if we're talking about cost per square foot, sort of uh, interesting that most houses have just one kitchen. So the smaller the house, the the higher the price of the kitchen because there is, isn't, aren't all these other square feet to write off against that. So a small house might actually cost more per square foot, but uh, it doesn't mean you should build a bigger house. It, it just means that you need to be aware that you can't just say, oh, well, let's just build a thousand square foot house and we'll save half. Well, it might not save half because you still have the whole process to go through and maybe the same number of expensive rooms like kitchens and baths. So that is one thing. Cost per square foot is almost irrelevant uh, because somebody has to say, well, does that include the lot? Does that include the cost of the uh, design work and the permitting work and the underground work? Or is that just the house itself? So that uh, anybody talking to a contractor for the first time needs to ask a lot of questions. And if you don't understand something, then I've often told, uh, I've handed my spreadsheet to clients and said, this is where I think the prices are going for like 30 line items. And then they can take that and have their own spreadsheet of, of the things that they're going to buy or that they've, maybe they're buying their, paying their architect directly, which is common or paying the, for building permit fees directly, or maybe they have their, uh, their well drilled by uh, somebody and the owners would pay for that directly. So I don't, even as a general contractor, I don't usually pay for all of the costs involved in the project, but the owner needs to be well aware that those are not included in my estimate. And I try to make that clear. Uh, so there aren't any disappointments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would reiterate exactly what you already said um, when I do this exactly same thing excel spreadsheet i'll have the column that's dancing dog and i'll also have the column that's clients responsibilities because i think it's a little disingenuous for a contractor to say oh yeah i can do it for x and the client if they haven't done construction before isn't aware that oh there's all of these infrastructure costs or oh it doesn't include the finishes like the flooring and in terms of the cost per square feet the most expensive thing I've built per square foot was actually one of those tiny tumbleweed houses. The house is on wheels. It was 140 square feet, but it needed a bathroom, it needed a kitchen, and it needed a solar system. So that ended up being the most expensive per square foot. And I often use that with a client just to give, help them recognize that exactly it's not a linear relationship. I'm curious how much work either or both of you have had with uh, LEED certified houses or buildings um, and energy efficient buildings, maybe using materials like straw bale and incorporating solar or, you know, new ways of, of being energy efficient. Well, I have done a straw bale um, just because I'm in love with the material. Um, I built a small straw bale house for myself in New Mexico um, which is kind of the perfect climate for it because you get intense cold and intense heat. I'm not totally sure it's the best uh, system for our climate because of our rain here. Um, but I think there's a lot of stuff that is a 
what I consider kind of the lower hanging fruit, like advanced framing techniques, which is a, a way of reducing the amount of lumber in when you do your rough framing. So you get, you know, less resource intensive, less labor intensive, and you have more space for your insulation because, of course, wood is a really poor insulator and the more insulation you can stick in, the better. Um, the other, another thing that I consider kind of um, de rigueur for construction is to utilize passive solar to the extent possible. Um, if you have the choice on your lot, you want to be judicious in how you orient it so you can get passive solar um, thermal warming inside your building envelope. And that's just, to me, that's low pit fruit. Why not do it? Mm -hmm. I, I, I've done a, uh, one straw bale house that was fun and different and turned out really beautiful with these wonderful natural plasters on it and stuff. Um, well, it wasn't it wasn't cheap though, and I won't go into the one project, but there it had all the regular amenities plus the straw bale plus plus. But um, I have done some houses that were 100 uh, percent off the grid and 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 making their own power with the sun. And of course, nowadays the panels have gotten so inexpensive, you can just add panels until you reach you know zero energy net energy use for a year but um i think that should be every house's goal it's not that hard to do and it's important that we keep people trained in this county to be able to stay up with the latest you know what is the best uh heating and cooling system on the market for your particular project and even the, I'm not sure all the, even the HVAC companies, the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning companies are up with the latest because it's, it's changing fast. When I, I was a charter subscription to, subscriber to Fine Home Building Magazine about 40 years ago, and it's gotten very technical to build a house compared to back then. It, there are just so many uh things and, it, and and most of the things are good but most of them add complexity and ie expense to building a house so um definitely go green if you're spending that much money and you hopefully you're building a house that's going to last 100 years now's the time to to make it you know waterproof and and uh solar efficient and it's uh money well spent well thank and you just for people who may not be aware of this you know, the building code now requires solar on every house. So while you're at it, try and get as close to net zero as you can. Thank you, Howie, and thank you, um, Cynthia. So we are on KZUX. This is Citizen U, and it's a, a show on the first and third Wednesdays of each month, 9 a.m., and we are in the middle of a pledge drive here um, to help create a new building for the county's public radio station. Yeah, I something that really moves me in particular, and I think as a, a host of Citizen U, is the fact that KZYX is independent. You know, we're not beholden to sponsors, uh, and and that makes us unique. You know, uh, commercial radio has to um, get sponsors that approve of, of their content and uh, maybe can't, uh, you know, broadcast certain content because of because of the needs and the desires of their uh, corporate sponsors, but that's not an issue here at KZYX. And 
And so I think that makes us really unique. Alicia is back. Yeah, I'm, I'm joining you. You're taking a little a little moment to remind people about the building fund, and so I wanted to, to join you. Thank you for doing everything that you do for the station. Um, yeah, there's a firewall. Uh, our, our We don't have corporate sponsors at KZYX. We have small businesses in the community that, uh, that support the station and hopefully get an opportunity to get their businesses out to the, the, the local community so that we know what our local shops and businesses are that we'd like to support and those are our underwriters um, but there really is a firewall between programming at KZYX and um, the the financial support of our underwriters it's just not I mean we have very strong principles about this and it's really just not something that uh, the money from businesses doesn't influence, influence the, content. Uh, yeah, the content no mm-hmm. This is ground zero of what KZYX provides for you. I always say I'm the program director here, so I think a lot about the offerings, the the on-air offerings. And one of the things that I want you to have uh, as a community is direct access to your elected representatives. So... Citizen, here we are. Here, here you are. As a citizen, you is uh, is a, the best example of that. Dan Jurdy is a, our fourth district supervisor, and Mari Roden is on the Ukiah City Council. They know how things get done in this community, but not just that. Uh, the phone lines are open. You can call directly. You can bring up issues. You can and and my goal here is that you know who represents you and that you know their first name <laughs> and that you feel like you can call them i think that's a really important function of democracy we have a pretty small rural county in terms of population so that every person who lives here can have an outsized uh role in the functioning of our local government and and we need you to have that role we need you to be involved so the two of you being here and providing this service to the community as a whole is just Terrific. Well, I'm so it, grateful. It unites us. This radio station unites a, a large, uh, um, diverse county, and it makes elected officials accessible, just as Alicia was saying. It's it's extraordinary that, K, that KZYX is here, that we're a public radio station that's um, entering the 21st century and is going to grow into the future. We're going to be serving... Uh, more and more people, more and more kids. I really liked what the person, the the program director from KQED. What was his name? Ernesto. Ernesto. He. I heard him driving over to Philo this morning, and he talked about uh, listening to public radio station as a child and or a young person without much direction, and it inspired him and really changed the course of his life. And I know that's true for public radio. Um, listeners, and by moving our station to KZYX, we are going to make ourselves more accessible to everyone in the county. Yes, and one of the things that we definitely prioritize at KZYX is access for young people for internships mm. and volunteer opportunities. We have uh, several interns at the moment. I'm going over to Anderson Valley High School today to interview a couple of more candidates for a summer internship, and I'm excited that not only will the new building give us um, better equipment and more uh, modern studios for young people to learn this, these skills uh, and for, of course, programmers to, to use and do their shows, but also will give us more access to more people in Ukiah who can access the, the, the skills building aspect of this whole thing. Uh, people who maybe can't drive to Philo or who you know don't have uh, time or resources to volunteer can come in and actually learn these skills. I'm thrilled to be able to provide that to well, the community. 
And today's guests are Howie Hawks, Hawks Construction, and Cynthia Sharon from Dancing Dog Design Build. Um, one of the uh, things that they do not know each other outside of the show, but one thing that brings them in, in common is the fact that both of them have constructed houses that w- were profiled in Fine Home Building Magazine. For those of you who aren't familiar with the magazine, it's 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 not necessarily about the fanciest house, but it's about well-built houses and well-designed houses. And um, so I think it's you know it's an honor to have both of these builders among our our cadre of builders here in Mendocino County, kind of showing the quality of, of workmanship that that's available here in Mendocino County. Um, so I'm really glad to have both of them as guests. Um, uh, could either of you kind of give examples? We were talking about costs earlier. Are there times when spending a little bit more upfront on something might save the homeowner money in maintenance costs over time? Hmm. You want to take that, Cynthia? Or? Sure. I mean, there's multiple examples. Um, you can think about your heating system and what um, type of efficiency furnace you have if you're doing a furnace. Obviously, solar is classic example because you've got your upfront costs but then you save the next you know 20 30 years um then in terms of exterior siding um if you do a cementitious product like hardy panel or um, hardy plank that has both the advantage of being more fire resistant and being slightly slightly lower maintenance than some of the wood products so there's a lot of choices that people can make but I always tell clients, don't pick something that you don't like aesthetically just because it's um, lower maintenance. You know, this is a space you're hopefully going to live with or in a very long time. I tend to let uh, aesthetics trump over um, bottom line costs just because I think the aesthetics really are an important part of how we experience a space. Well, you're an artist, too. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm bias your values, way. yeah, your values are, well, I, I agree. Uh, yeah, and I, I think what's true is, for me, is a lot, houses can run over budget, and they often do, and, I, and there are various reasons for that, but I've never had a client come back and say, I, I wish I had, you know, gone cheaper or, you know, or lower efficiency on or something like that i mean in, in the end when when they're it's all said and done the owners are don't regret that they make nice choices and I, and I think that's one of the reasons to build smaller because then you can afford to do the nicer finish or the extra detail what i call just so details that really personalize the space because you haven't spent it on you know three thousand four thousand five thousand square feet I right. totally agree. Smaller is better. Just you really need to look at how can you double up the use of some of the rooms and just so you don't have to keep adding more more. It's always easy, you know, well, let's just add another room and call it the office instead of thinking about where, how could we fit an office into this existing square footage in the design at that point. And I had a kind of a personal example uh, when I built my house, whatever, 30 years ago, I didn't buy the highest efficiency furnace because I thought, well, you know, 80% versus 92 or whatever the choice was at the time. But sure enough, I lived to all the way through the lifespan of that appliance and it would have saved me money if I had spent the money on the higher efficiency. I mean, I lived personally in the house long enough to wish I'd made a different decision on my 
uh, furnace. So that's good to know. Hey, uh, Dan, are we taking calls this morning? Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Okay, so we in, we invite listeners to call in if you have questions for uh, Dan or or uh, sorry for Howie or Cynthia. In fact, I think uh, there is somebody calling in. Dan, I see the flash. Oh. Okay. Okay, listener, you're on the air. Press this. Listener, you're on the air. Hi there. Good morning. Thanks for your wonderful show and all the work KZYX does. And I had a question for Cynthia and Howie. Um, how do you deal with the problem of thermal stratification and avoid floor-to-ceiling extremes? Uh, I've seen so many apartments, and I, I live in one here, that has overhead ducts and vents, and the hot air at the ceiling stays there while the air at the, near the floor level is cold and it's because we're on a cement pad and i have friends you know who are um <laughs> uh have uh heard of this and who are uh one or two who are in a building trades and they're, they're just like really astounded that this type of uh heating from the ceiling um downward is used in this climate um it, it makes no sense. And okay, thanks for the question. I, I could uh, give my two cents on that question. Um, what, to avoid the stratification, you need to insulate really well and make sure you don't have air leakage. Because it, the room, I mean, there is, there's going to be some stratification no matter what, but it's much worse if you have a drafty house because there's always air coming in from outside and you don't have any control about where it goes and how it goes up the stairs. And my house is a two-story house. And yes, it's somewhat warmer upstairs, but it would be a lot less stratification if the house is tightly built and well insulated. Great. It looks like we have another yeah, and the call. Only oh, well, let's uh, let, let Cynthia go ahead and answer. We, we well, well, the only thing I was going to add to that, because Howie's totally right, is you can use a fan, you know, a fan that has both a forward and a backward direction, mm -hmm. and that can help push some of the um, warmer air down. But basically, it's it sounds like it was poorly designed, both con conceptually and technically when it was built, which is just a real challenge. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Okay, we have another listener. Listener, you're on the air. Hi, hi. Um, yes, I, I heard your program about straw bale building, and I built a straw bale house in Yorkville, and um, um, somebody was mentioning that the uh, expense uh, was not cheap. But, you know, I find that is correct, and most of the expense was in the cement for the footings. I mean, I, use, I have a two-story, 2,200-square-foot straw bale house, and I had to have 66 cubic yards of concrete for the footings. So the, the inspector came out and said, are you building a high rise here? You know, so so that's, that's a lot of the expense. Not, there's no expense in the straw bales very much, but, but other things like electrical are more expensive because people just don't know how to do it. And um, so anyway, that's my two cents. Thank you, caller, for that. Yes, yeah, so I just... I just wanted to add to that, um, yes, that's one of the challenges with straw bale is you have a very wide wall, so you need a very wide thing. What I actually did in New Mexico, 
Mexico was I did a rubble trench footing. So I had something, I think it was 22 inches wide, three feet deep, and it was compacted drain rock. The, the complication here in California is because of the earthquakes, the seismic loads are really, really different. So one of the challenges is getting enough lateral bracing. Um, and that's probably why you ended up with 66 cubic yards of concrete. I recently, well, last year I priced out a client wanted a straw bale house, and we started with that design. But one of the challenges was that there's no one locally who, besides myself, has any experience with it. Right. Thank you, Cynthia. Looks like we have another caller. Okay, caller, you're on the air. Yes, good morning. Thank you for the show. I have a Um, quick question. All of those added a lot of um, complexity and cost. Yeah, uh, go ahead, caller. Okay, I'm sorry. I was calling to see if you could give some information. I'm a contractor. I'm doing an addition on my house with radiant flooring, and I'm toying around with different ideas to use either sun and doing two electric hot water heaters, tankless, or solar hot water heater i just wanted to see if you can give me some information on possibly some cheaper ways to heat my house in the winter times via solar or solar hot water exchangers um any information would be great uh cynthia or howie would you want to talk i mean uh, personally i think the ductless mini splits are a, a fairly cost effective way to heat and cool and, this place and explain what those are too uh Howie, could you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, Duckless Mini Split has a heat exchanger outside, so it's like a heat pump. It's basically an air conditioner, and it usually is run through ducting. But it, if the air conditioner is running backwards, then it makes heat, and so that's what. So that's a very common thing nowadays, and getting more and more common. And and, and it's pretty energy efficient. Um, uh, it sounds like the caller might have concrete floors and want to mitigate the cooling effect of that in the winter time, and so you would have to put, you know, tubes in your concrete and insulate under that. There are ways to do it. There, the whole heating, ventilation, and air conditioning uh, field, I think, is really getting is expanding and getting more efficient and more effective and more complicated. <laughs> Um, when you start mixing two different kinds of heat, like a mini split's going to actually blow warm air at some point. But if you want heating in your floor, now you're heating something else, which is a water or some sort of coolant going through tubes in your concrete. So what Dan said is if you just want to heat and cool effectively and with electricity so you can mitigate the carbon footprint, uh, a, a mini split is a really good way to go. They're very efficient, and they'll they will heat and cool. Um, again, they're getting popular, and the price is coming down. So I know the one I installed in Fort Bragg. Um, as long as it's not cooler than thirty-seven degrees outside, which is pretty much never <laughs> in Fort Bragg, um, it's it's got a, a, an efficiency of twelve and a half to one. So every unit of energy in, it's got twelve and a half units of energy of heat coming out and it and it's and it's almost as efficient when you get down to even like zero degrees outside so it's it's incredibly efficient um it's amazing let's reintroduce uh, our guests and our show you're listening to citizen you i'm mari roden and i'm here with 
Dan Jurdy, Mendocino County Supervisor, and we're talking about contracting and construction, and we've got two guests, Howie Hawks and Cynthia Sharon, who are uh, licensed contractors. And um, I, I'd like to back out a little bit um, from, from people's individual homes and ask about... Um, you know, the, that we've seen so much demand for housing uh, in Mendocino County and, and in pre-pandemic as well, because um, I, I, I say that I know that prices for construction have skyrocketed since the pandemic, but even prior to the pandemic when we had, uh, we've had huge housing demand, we haven't, um, we haven't, we, we, we haven't seen contractors coming forward. We, we don't have enough contractors. I hear people saying they can't, after the fires, they were unable to find builders, contractors to, um, and people in the trades to help them reconstruct their homes. And I wonder if you, either of you have opinions about why we don't. Uh, we have demand for contractors, demand for housing, and yet we have a seems like a, a supply, a, a supply problem. From the standpoint of, uh, uh, skilled trades people. Yeah, skilled trades people and licensed contractors. I mean, we, yeah. and, and people I, needing jobs, you know, coming out of high school and needing jobs. I wonder what what's keeping us from cultivating a, cr a new crop of licensed contractors. Do you have any ideas about that? Yes, you want, you want to try to tackle yeah, that? Yeah, I to me it's a puzzle i mean we were dan and howie and i were talking about this the other day and it to me it's a totally fun field because you get to be physical you get to make spaces beautiful it's a totally transferable skill you can take it to alaska you can take it to wherever and do it um and it has minimal upfront cost and it's a great combination of using both your body and your mind and i am not sure why um, less people or more people are interested in going into it and also pays moderately well. I mean, it doesn't come with the type of benefits that you might get working for a corporation, but there's the trade-off is you get a lot of freedom. So to me, it's, it's a puzzle. Well, for someone considering going into the trades, I mean, do they, can they come right out of high school? Do they need to bring certain skills to the job or can they learn some of that by working for, for a contractor? That's the great I, thing. You can learn as you earn. I mean, every every construction job needs a either a carpenter's helper or a laborer, and you can learn something every day doing that. We don't, I don't think we have any formal uh, union uh, apprenticeship programs up here at this point, and that was another way to learn the trades if you're in a bigger urban area. But still, if you can find contractors to work for around here, which shouldn't be too hard, I would think that uh, you could start earning money right away, and that's kind of what I did. I mean, I did my carpentry was you know, started at six bucks an hour up in Willits, and, <laughs> and of course that was a long time ago. But I learned a lot, and just every, you know, all the time you're learning, and that to me makes it worth doing. It's, it's almost like there's not a cap to say, well, because you can always get your own license and do your own company if you want. So it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's been very re rewarding to me, and I, it is a bit of a puzzle why more people aren't interested in it. Right. So someone listening to this show, um, if they're um, looking for a different career, 
um, maybe they should get into this, or maybe they have a, a, a grandchild or a, a child that, that's looking for something new and different to do. Maybe this is the next thing for them. We have another caller. We're going to go to the caller on the air. Caller, you're on the air. Hello. Uh, yes, I would just uh, appreciate uh, answering that last question. I am a woodworking teacher. I teach at River Oak Charter School, and I teach at... Uh, the uh, private uh, Waldorf school in Calpella. And the reason there aren't more uh, young people that are getting these skills, quite frankly, is because there is no industrial uh, arts uh, education anymore, certainly not at the junior high school age where it should be. Well, you know, that's where my kids are all fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. And, uh, I, I don't, you know, most public schools don't have it, and, and uh, my old friend Charlie Roberts that taught at Ukiah High for years, thank God they haven't gotten rid of their industrial arts pro- program, uh, but he taught building construction there, and wood shop, and all the skills that go with it, uh, but... You know, he said it was when the personal computer came on board, that was the only technology that the academic world wanted to recognize, and all the other technologies got pushed right out of the door. The wood shop became a computer lab, and, uh, you know, it's it's a big mistake, and, and uh, I think it's changing. Uh, I think uh, Joe Biden, if he would have gotten that, uh, infrastructure uh, build better. Build back better. Uh, package. Uh, package. Uh, I, I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but I think he had his eye on the junior college. I think that's where the curriculum should be. Uh, my high school wood work uh, wood chop teacher graduated from the University of California at Santa Barbara in 1954. Was the last year that the university had an industrial arts department. At that time, uh, the push was to uh, get it into the state college system, and every state college had an industrial arts department that included auto mechanics, you know, machine shop, welding, uh, electricity, drafting, uh, technical drawing, wood shop, uh, wood technology, uh, they, they were just adding a plastics uh, technology in the 1960s. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, technology can't construct a house. We don't have an app for building a house. But, uh, you know, technology, I've, I've seen um, 3D printed houses, you know. So, so technology does have a role to play in construction. But we need, we definitely need opportunities for young people to become interested in um in you know hands-on building real things that people need to live in well Cynthia and Howie do you have anything to add I, I know my understanding is that there's a green building t- uh, program at the Mendocino College um, but I'm not I'm not aware of all, what's currently available at all the local high schools in, or junior high schools in Mendocino County oh what we um, can't hear you Howie we uh, if you could just start over Go with on. your response Okay, can you hear me now? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, it seems like with all the, uh, everybody knows that there's a housing shortage in California, and, and you have to have people to build those houses, so 
maybe the education could should lean more toward building and uh, all the different trades involved. And that, I mean, that's what could make college more uh, useful. But I just want to say one thing is it's a slight uh, movement. There, we're talking about housing and the lack of housing. And it seems to me like there are two things involved. One is multiple family housing projects or, you know, just uh, where there's a developer and there are, you know, 50, 100 units built. And the other is individually people can build an ADU in their backyard or they can build it on their vacant lot. And so they're kind of like two things. One are big developments, one are steps an individual could take. But is it true that Danco in Fort Bragg is doing a big solar, 100% uh, solar housing project? For low income yeah so so danko partnered with the city of fort bragg and and maybe cynthia wants to talk about it as well um and they've previously built in fort bragg next to the police station senior housing and they've got a, a, a larger project that involves uh, housing for different uh, kinds of people and it's a much bigger piece of property cynthia do you want to add to that no i was just gonna say, tell howie yes that was true but i do want to go back to what we were talking earlier and i think the real sad thing about getting rid of industrial arts in the high school is there's this push every single kid thinks he or she has to go to college. And for some people, that's not a good fit. And I feel like we're kind of in some ways disempowering a lot of youth who may not be interested in the academic track that may not be their skill set, but they would totally flourish in construction. And in terms of people coming to me, what I really care about is a good attitude and a good aptitude. So you don't have to necessarily know that much, but you have to have the ability to learn. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I just, I wish as like all of us here that there was more um, opportunities for people to realize that this really is a great field. You know, speaking of the field of construction, I see we have a call in, but we need to, uh, get back to our building fund. <laughs> so so we're talking about construction and contracting, but KZYX, to redirect, is also uh, doing a construction project. Alicia's back in the studio. Hello. What a great show. And what a, a deep amount of effort and work and time you've both put into this subject. Your guests are uh, preeminent in the field locally, and you have direct access to call in and ask them questions. I mean, that is valuable. You value that. If you didn't have it, of course, you would miss it. Uh, but the fact that we do have this very wonderful phenomenon of this community radio station we like uh, communities across the country uh, value this kind of communication and we know that you um, you support it and you want it to grow and that's what the opportunity you have now is to join at this building fund and help us create a really great studio in Ukiah to take us into the future I have a question for you Alicia sure. about this so it's going to improve our signal. Definitely. Because now we're losing our signal because of trees growing in the way. It, will our signal expand? That is the hope. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we'll be closer to Lake County. We do broadcast into Lake County, but um, we'll be closer and be able to broadcast even more and more clearly into Lake County. Mm -hmm. And with our expanded news department, I'm, I'm really hoping that that's one of the priorities, that we will hear more from uh, our neighbors in Lake County as well and have sort of a sense of uh, the, the larger region. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's really cool. 
Yeah. Especially because there's, you know, when you're talking about these major challenges that we all face as a community, housing, uh, wildfire and climate change, um, drug abuse and overdose, houselessness, these are issues that we share uh, with our neighbors and also that we're so much more effective at tackling together. Right. So we need good information like the kind you are bringing us and we need um, to know that we can count on each other. You know, speaking of region, when it comes to housing, um, you know, many people who work in Mendocino County and and particularly in inland Mendocino County commute from Lake County. Yeah, so, because so housing's they, more affordable. Because then. it's more affordable, but it it unites us. It makes us connected as a, you know, as a bi county region. Okay. Um, Thanks, Alicia. We just have a couple minutes left, but for Howie and for Cynthia, um, any any final thoughts on what someone should look for in in hiring uh, a contractor like yourselves? Um, go ahead. Go ahead, Howie. I would say um, certainly ask around. If you can, uh, references are extremely important and will give you a really good idea. If you if you talk to if you go to the trouble of talking to three people that your contractor or prospective contractors thinks might be uh, could give a re representation of how they were as a contractor. I, I think that's huge. Um, you know the. The initial interviews would kind of seat of the pants would help. Um, so actually taking time to sit down for a half hour, 45 minutes with each prospective contractor, just talk to him and see, can he answer your questions? <laughs> yeah, okay. I would only add to that. It's about communication. It's about transparency. So you understand what's going on. And it's all finally about goodness of fit. Thank you both so much for being our guest this morning on Citizen U. My pleasure. Thank you guys for being there. My pleasure as well. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.